Is your heart at peace this morning? Is your life generally one of contentment and trust in God as you go through each day? I think if we're honest, these are challenging questions for most of us. I know I have days where there seem to be no peace whatsoever. Not only for me, but apparently for my students, co-workers, and family. It's amazing how everyone lacks peace when I lack peace. There might be a reason for that. A lack of peace in our hearts will often rub off on our neighbors. Sin is never a lonely activity. It always has its effect outside of yourself. Lacking peace can very often lead to other sins. Lacking contentment itself seems to be a sin of omission. Yes, it is so often very hard to find peace and contentment, but let's, let's not let ourselves off the hook too easily. Christ has promised his peace which passeth understanding. Why don't we take hold of it? Now, I think that there are many answers to that question and many directions to go. And I encourage you to pursue the question if you struggle with this. But I'd like this morning to look at our psalm and find encouragement for peace and contentment. Please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 62. It's page 502 in the Pew Bibles or page 413 in the Book of Common Prayer, though I do preach from the New King James Version of the Bible, which is what is in the pews. Psalm 62, page 502 in the Pew Bibles. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. This short quote here is essentially the thrust of the psalm. Says one commentator, this is a psalm supremely useful for settling one's soul quietly in the presence of God. It's a reminder of our hope. God gives us our salvation. He is our protector. He is a rock. And our lives built upon that rock cannot be greatly moved. So as we go about our days, our work, our conversations, dealing with the stresses of everyday living, and the unusual events in our life that cause greater stress, we must let our souls wait for God. Father Neil, in reference to this psalm, says, And so spake the dying patriarch Jacob, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. And that because it is sure to come. However, our impatience may think it to linger. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry, says the Lord in Habakkuk. 
And the reward for those who do so wait is set forth by Isaiah. It shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Our translation in the New New King James Version gets at the underlying Hebrew text a bit better than the Coverdale Psalter does, the, the translation in the prayer book, my soul is silent to God, is one way to translate it. The Septuagint and the Vulgate uh, translations give us, so shall, sorry, shall not my soul be subject to God. St. Gregory the Great observes that humility is the mother and the mistress of all virtues. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, says St. James in his epistle. Patience is definitely a theme of this psalm. Silent, quiet, waiting. We are called to patience in this humble waiting upon God. We have been saved in our baptism. We are currently being saved as we work out that salvation in fear and trembling, as St. Paul puts it. And we patiently wait upon God for our final salvation at the end of the ages. When we participate in the resurrection of the dead and the life to come in the new heavens and the new earth. The epistle to the Romans gives us good commentary on this patient waiting. In chapter 8, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Perseverance is a key term, I think. Not just persevering in hope, but persevering in keeping the faith active in a life of service. Says another commentator, the life of faith is pretty much evenly divided between serving and waiting. It's interesting to note that the person who attends you at a restaurant to take your order and serve your food is called a waiter. A servant of a lord in medieval Europe is one who waits upon the Lord patiently waiting for the call of his Lord to do this or to do that, to serve. This is a good picture of our waiting upon God. While we wait patiently, we also serve and do his bidding. We get a repeat of this main theme in verse 5. My soul, wait patient, excuse me, wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. You notice that the rock and the salvation is pointed out in this repetition as the only hope. The only place to go to. The only place to flee to for succor. Lest we are tempted to trust in other means of peace and contentment, in other means of salvation in the moment, the psalmist reminds us that God alone is everything we need. 
We're not going to fix our problems ourselves without God. We're not going to find a magic bullet and have all the stresses of life disappear. And yes, I know our culture is hot to trot for the magic bullet always. Teachers will say, well, what, what three things do I just have to do to make sure that all my students learn? And the answer is, you mean what 1,300 different things do you have to do? Because every student is different. They're all humans. Parents say, well, what's the, t- the list of the top five things I need to do to raise a good kid? Good luck with that. You see, God alone will give us the peace we need. But yes, we are called to be patient and trusting and ready to do what he asks of us in cooperation and in obedience to God. Think about a life of prayer, for example. What could could require more patience, more quietness, more obedience than developing our life of prayer? It's a difficult task and requires more patience and trust than most of us think we have. I think for most of us, our devotional prayer life is a start and stop, start and stop, start and fail, start and get distracted sort of thing. But if we keep with it, if we keep pushing, then with patience, when we don't give up, eventually we can actually go, wow, I've made some progress by God's help, by his grace. When we begin to falter in our obedience to a life of prayer, when we get frustrated, which can be so easy, and the patience is wearing very thin, we can hear the psalmist's voice crying out in verse 8, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. When you are tempted to look for that magic bullet, remember verse 10, Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Your job is to protect Christ's peace within you with patient and quiet waiting upon God. Don't look for the shortcuts to this peace and communion with God. There aren't any. Anyone who tells you that there are shortcuts in your life with Christ is lying. Don't believe him. The final two verses remind us of our object, God himself, and God's power and strength, which are our salvation. And in the end, we are reminded of our call to serve God and serve others as we patiently wait for this salvation from God, which can even now include our peace and our contentment. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each according to his work. Amen.